chapter 2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at the sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native tongue of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thanks be to God for the word of God. Amen. And if you'd like to know um, about Jennifer as a teenager, you'll want to talk to John Robb. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Will you bow with me for a moment of prayer? Dear God, our Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Did you know that the word conspire means to breathe together. It comes from the Latin prefix con, which means with, and the Latin word spiro, which means breathe. So will you 
join me and just take a breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. There. We have just participated in a conspiracy together. You can hear the word spirit in there too, can't you? To conspire means to be filled with the same wind or the same spirit, to be enlivened. You see, what actually happens between us when we come together in worship is that God, through the Holy Spirit, swoops in, around, and among us, knitting us together through the songs that we sing, through the prayers that we pray, through the very breath that we breathe together. It can happen according to scripture when two or three are gathered together, and it can happen when two or three thousand are gathered together, like some of us experienced this past week at annual conference. When the Spirit comes, it can overwhelm us, it can scare us, it, it can comfort us, it can confuse us, it can clarify things for us. It also can provide healing. Just being together and breathing together can be a healing experience. About a month ago, a group of us from Stony Brook went to the Nor Islamic Center for their interfaith celebration, and then we joined them in a delicious iftar meal to break the daily fast during their holy month of Ramadan. The program featured a variety of folks from education, government, and other faith communities who talked about their, the impact their interfaith experiences had had on them and on their communities and the sense of hope that was fostered by the mutual support that was given. But one of the most moving testimonies was when Rabbi Sharon Mars of Temple Israel talked about the Shabbat service immediately after the mass killing at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. Rabbi Mars told us about the healing power that she and other members of her synagogue experienced when the imam from the Noor Islamic Center and a group of folks from their mosque simply went to Shabbat services with the Temple Israel congregation to be present with them to support their Jewish brothers and sisters who were mourning the death of, of, of 11 of their, their companions and six people who were injured at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. Rabbi Mars emotionally shared how just having her interfaith partners there with her, simply being present, she said, just breathing the air with us, gave us a sense of calm and hope and healing as they were struggling in the midst of this deep tragedy. Now, take another breath with me. Earth science tells us that our beautiful blue-green planet is wrapped in a protective veil that we call the atmosphere, which separates the air we believe from, that we breathe from that ice-cold nothingness of the vacuum of outer space. Now, beneath this veil is all the air that ever was. There is not a cosmic cleaning company that comes along every couple hundred thousand years to suck out all the old air and pump in some new. That same ancient air just keeps being recirculated, which means that any time each of us breathes, we breathe a little bit of stardust left over from the creation. We breathe brontosaurus breath and paradactyle breath. Mostly dogs breathe that, I can verify that. 
We breathe air that is circulated in the rainforests of Kenya and that has turned yellow with the sulfur over Mexico City. We breathe the same air that Socrates breathed and Beethoven and Monet, not to mention Hitler and Charles Manson. Every time we breathe, we take in air that was once some baby's very first breath or some dying person's last breath. We take it in, we use it to live, and then when we breathe it out, it, it carries something of us along with it to the next person or, or tree or lizard who use it to live. When Jesus hung on his cross and breathed out that last breath, it was so filled with divine love for the whole of the world that it spawned this rushing mighty wind that God sent spinning through an upper room in Jerusalem 50 days later on Pentecost. You see, God wanted to make sure that Jesus' friends were the inheritors of Jesus' last breath. And your presence here this morning is testimony to the fact that it worked. There they were, about 120 of them, Luke says. They're just moping around wondering what they're going to do without Jesus when a holy hurricane heads their way. And before any of them have a chance to react, the mighty wind has blown in through the entire house, striking sparks that literally burst into flames over their heads. And they're filled up with it, every one of them, filled up to the top with God's own holy breath. And then something begins to squeeze them and clamp down, and out of them comes languages that they didn't even know they knew. Like a, like a room full of magpies all chattering at once, they set up such a racket that the neighbors came to see what it was that was going on. But the disciples were empowered to speak some 15 different languages, not their own. The Spirit empowered them specifically to speak languages that the text says were of the devout Jews from every nation who had come to Jerusalem. Just imagine, Parthians, Mesopotamians, Cappadocians, immigrants or maybe visitors just to Jerusalem for that celebration heard their mother tongues spoken in this foreign land. Now, you might need to note this, that the gift of the Holy Spirit that literally marks the birth of the church is a gift that is given expressly for those who are yet outside the Jesus movement. Don't miss this. It is a spiritual gift not given for the disciples themselves, but rather for the outsiders who are coming to hear the sound and they're listening. God's gift reaches outward to those outside of the immediate circle of Jesus' followers. It seems that one of the hallmark acts of the Holy Spirit and his gifting is that it empowers us to connect with others. And this gift given for the sake of others literally can sound crazy and ridiculous so that others sneer. And we heard about the sneering this morning, and yet Peter responds to the sneerers by calling on the ancient prophetic tradition. He doesn't hesitate to claim that this Pentecost experience is the fulfillment of Joel's inspiring vision, when God's Spirit is poured out on all flesh. Now, all flesh means all, young and old, men and women, slave and free. 
And all the scripture says we'll prophesy, which means speaking God's word into reality in the present moment. And Peter says, folks, it's happening now. They're not drunk. The Jesus community, through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, challenges the existing religious norms, just like Joel had prophesied. These dreams and visions turn the Jesus people outward, and they speak fluently in other people's mother tongues. Now, before the day was over, the church had grown from about 120 to 3,000. You see, shy people had become bold and scared people had become gutsy, and lost people had literally found a sure sense of direction. And disciples who had not believed that it was possible for them to even tie their own sandals without Jesus present discovered within themselves abilities and skills they never knew they had. When they opened their mouths to speak, it was as if Jesus were speaking through them. When they laid their hands upon the sick, it was as if Jesus were reaching through their touch. In short order, they were doing things they had never seen anyone but Jesus do. And there was no explanation for it except they had dared to inhale on the day of Pentecost when the wind and the fire came through the house. They had sucked in God's very own breath and they had been transformed by it. The Holy Spirit had entered into them in the same way that it had entered into Mary, the mother of Jesus, and for the same reason. It was time for God to be born again. Not in one body this time, but rather in the gathered body of believers who would receive the breath of life from their Lord and then pass it on, using their own breath, their own bodies, to distribute the gift. Now, the book of Acts, which is written by Luke, we remember, is the story of, the Holy, of their Holy Spirit adventure. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we learn there the good news of what God has done through Jesus the Christ. In the book of Acts, we learn the good news of what God did and is doing through the Holy Spirit by performing a kind of spiritual resuscitation in a room full of, of well-intentioned well, well bumblers and turning them into a force that has changed the history of the world. So the question for today is whether we still believe in a God who acts like that. Do we still believe in a God who blows through closed doors and literally sets our heads on fire? That's what happened to me, I think. <laughs> Could be what happened to me, I don't know. Do we still believe in a God with power to transform, both as individuals and as the gathered community? Or have we simply come to a silent agreement that, you know, God's pretty old, pretty tired by now, Someone to whom we still address our prayer requests, but not anyone we really expect to show up with any regularity and change our lives. Now, of the persons of the Trinity, I suppose the Holy Spirit is the most difficult to define. We do pretty well with the other two. You know, God the Father, creator of all that is, the one who makes the sun shine or the rain to fall, God the Son. Uh, He's human like us, so we, we get that. Came as our savior, a teacher, helper, healer. He's a friend, 
But what does the Holy Spirit mean to you? Now, there's a lot of fine teaching and writing available about the Holy Spirit, and I invite you to look and to read, but I hope that you're not satisfied with that. I hope that you're not satisfied until you have felt and allowed the Holy Spirit to rest upon you, and you felt that Spirit blow in your life. You know, rearranging some stuff that needs to get rearranged, to open up some stuff that's gotten closed down, maybe, maybe even setting your heads on fire. Now, as far as I can tell, there is nothing that we can do to make this happen except to pray this little prayer, come, Holy Spirit, come. And that may cause a change in your life. But if you don't want things to change in your life, For God's sake, do not pray that prayer because God might just show up and things are going to change. And remember, asking for the experience of the Holy Spirit is really only half of the equation. Now, it may come with a Pentecostal force of of wind and fire and, and the neighbors will notice, but lots of times the situations and the circumstances are really fairly ordinary. And some folks might write off these encounters as ESP or or coincidence or maybe hormones. But I'm convinced, and I'm here to tell you, that the Holy Spirit is still at work among us. Now, one important way the Holy Spirit acts is to give people a sense and a chance for a new beginning. That's really what happened in the upper room the very first time. Well... Say you've been in a bad mood for six months. You know, a six-month funk can happen to all of us from time to time, and it does. You know, it just seems as you're just going through the motions after a while, at work, at home, even when you sleep, you're just shuffling stuff from one place to another. Nothing seems to make any difference. Nothing seems to be very important, and you just get to the place where you don't care much anymore. It doesn't make much difference whether it's daytime or night. Lots of times you're just laying there awake anyway. And then, one of those nights while you're laying there awake in your bed, you hear something. It's the sound of one bird singing outside, just one. And you wonder, why in the world is there a bird singing in the middle of the night? And then you lay there just a moment longer, And you begin to realize that it's not the middle of the night. It's the edge of morning. And the bird chirps again, and and somehow something inside you begins to soften. And you take a deep breath. Maybe the first deep breath you've had for six months. And your chest opens up, and you know you've got your second wind. Now, you can call it anything you want. But I see evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit through wind and fire. Another trademark of the Holy Spirit is it gives people a new way, another way back into relationship. And I'm guessing this has happened to all of us, probably happened to you. You know, you're estranged from someone that that you really care about because of something you said or did, or maybe something they said or did doesn't make a lot of difference. The point is, You're separated and you're tired of it. So you start thinking of ways to kind of get things patched up. So you draft a couple of text messages 
and you don't send them because they don't sound quite right. And then you start rehearsing little phone conversations. Really, you're hoping you get a message or machine so you can leave just the right message, and you never send them and never actually make the call because that anger and that hurt still deep down inside, and it's still seeping out. And then they, for no apparent reason, you stick your hand in your purse or in your pocket, and you pull out your phone, and you hear this voice say, now, this is the day, do it. And you still got them on your speed dial, and you push that number, and you're hoping for the voicemail. And they say hello. And then it happens. Your heart starts to melt and open. And words start to come out from a heart that has been strangely warmed. And a new reunion gets underway. Now, you can call that whatever you want. But I'm here to tell you that that's how the Holy Spirit works. These intimate encounters are so, so powerful that it's easy to stop with them. But the truth is the Holy Spirit can work among groups of people, like administrative boards or leadership teams or staff parish relations committees or even bigger groups, rooms filled with people who have come together to make important decisions, to seek direction, and one by one they come into the room, each with their own agenda. Some come fearfully, knowing they're going to have to defend their position themselves. Then someone says a prayer, and people begin to talk, and for no apparent reason, you begin to feel this shift. You can feel it in the room. It shifts. People start listening to one another. They begin to take each other seriously and get taken seriously. And they become creative together, coming up with ideas and solutions that none of them had thought about on their own. I saw it again this past week when we, the delegates gathered at Lakeside. Each one came armed with their slate of preferred candidates for general and jurisdictional conference. And once the tallies were all read, and the delegation was finally in place after a long day of voting, it was as if a fresh wind blew through that great auditorium. And we prayed for new wisdom and for a new vision for our beloved denomination. You call it anything you want. I'm counting on that being an act of the Holy Spirit. Now, once you get the hang of it, you know, figuring out and identifying when it's really the Spirit and not just emotions or ESP, the evidence becomes easier and easier to spot. When you find yourself with words speaking with an eloquence that you just know is not yours, just be attentive and go ahead. Or when you start offering forgiveness that you really hadn't meant to offer, it just sort of tumbled out. Whenever you find yourself taking risks that you thought, I just don't have the courage to do that, and next thing you know, you're in the middle of it. Or when you find yourself reaching out with compassion to someone that you had intended just to write off and walk away from, you can be pretty sure that you're experiencing the wind and the fire of the Holy Spirit. And more than that, you're taking it into your body and, and breathing it in and breathing it out and taking God into yourself and giving God back to the world. And along the way, you're adding a little bit of yourself to it. 
Let's take a breath again. Now just keep on breathing. This is God's moment-by-moment gift to each of us. We can call it air. We can call it the Holy Spirit. It still counts on us to warm it up and, and lend our lives to it. And in return, it promises to fill us with new wind, to set our heads on fire and give us tongues to speak of things we cannot begin to understand. So the question is this morning, do we still believe in a God who acts like that? More importantly, do we want to experience a God who sends the spirit of prophetic truth through the wind and the fire even today? The theophany of the Holy Spirit that is recorded in the book of Acts is the unique story that literally resulted in the birth of the Christian church. But the gift of being made into God's prophets through the Holy Spirit will continue to reverberate throughout the book of Acts, not only through the apostles like Peter and and Paul, but also through, through people like Ananias in chapter 9, and Philip's four daughters and Agabus in chapter 21, and the apparently unnamed ones who will even pass the limits of the story of that book bring the gospel literally to the ends of the earth. You can put your name in there someplace. Even the loneliest of the household, my slaves, in verse 18 with Paul, or with, with the writer, with Luke rather, saying my, adding a meaningful Lucan addition to the text, will be claimed by God and will become God's servants and God's prophets. Perhaps we ought to try speaking more about the prophethood of all believers, at least as much as we speak about the priesthood of all believers. This is what it means to be the church. This is the identity given to us by the Spirit's breath, claiming, calling, empowering each believer. Remember how John the Baptist had promised that the coming one would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire? That declaration sounded like a warning to me and a threat. If the pouring of the Holy Spirit had meant wrath and condemnation, then perhaps we could just sit back and let the rest of the world go to hell. But in the Lucan interpretation and the presentation in the book of Acts, the giving of the Spirit to the church is not as a rejection of the rest of the world, but as a sign that God's going to reach out to the whole world and reclaim all of it. And if we're going to be a part of that rich and creative work of wind and fire, then the only thing we can do and the only prayer that we need pray is simply this. Come Holy Spirit. Come today with wind and with fire. Amen and amen.